John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not say there are f yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift, your, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us today? Would you again inspire? Would you give us vision? Would you give us a sense of our calling? Through Christ I pray. Amen. I love that line from Jesus because I can tend to be a procrastinator. It's always easy to say, you know, I'm going to go share Christ with somebody tomorrow. I am going to make some changes tomorrow. I think we'll do things better later on. You know, that we're going to have more opportunities here in a month from now or two months from now. And Jesus would say, Look at the fields. They're ripe unto harvest. Do not say four more months and then the harvest. I want to talk a little bit more today about the, the why and the who of sharing Christ with others, of going and making disciples. I know that we want to make disciples. Jesus commanded us. Why do we make disciples? First of all, because of obedience to Christ. If you are his disciple, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to make disciples. If you are trying to follow Jesus and you are not making disciples, then, you're, then you and I are in disobedience. We're not really following Jesus. We are going our own way. And so it's encouraging for me sometimes to, to go back to Scripture and to renew the vision and to hear God's heart. And I shared, we talked about this uh, in the last couple of weeks, actually, the why do we Go and make disciples from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Just very briefly go through some of this again, where, where Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Why do we persuade others? Because we take God seriously. Because we know God is God, and he's worthy of worship. We know that God is God, and he has all authority. We know that God is God, and he is holy. And there are people who are living outside of his righteousness. They're living under his condemnation because they're living in rebellion against him. And, and it's not because God is some punitive God up there always looking to zap people who don't do things his way. The reality is there's only one right way to live. There's only one path of righteousness, and it's God's path of righteousness. And people choose other paths. They do so to their own demise, knowing the fear of the Lord because we love people. And we want them to walk in harmony with God. We persuade people. I love that word persuade, by the way. It is the word from which we get our word. It's the same word family as faith and the same word family as obedience. If we really do believe that God is God, if we really do believe that there are those who are saved and those who are lost, if we really do believe in an eternity, then we will obey. And if we really are obeying, we will persuade others. We will be persuaded but we will also persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. 
Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Why do we share? Because of love. We have Christ's love for us. Christ's love made him die on the cross. Christ's love led him to die for others because we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. And if we have Christ's love for others, then we will do what Christ did. We will, it'll, it'll kill us for people not to know who Christ is. The love of Christ controls us. And he died for all, verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we also do it because we're fully surrendered to Christ. If Christ died for me and I have accepted him as my Savior and Lord, then I no longer live for myself. That's what baptism shows me. I died to the old self. That old self was buried so that I might walk in newness of life. And what's that new life mean? It means I walk in obedience with Christ. I walk in his ways. He's my good shepherd. I hear his voice and follow. And that's why we persuade others. It is just our, it's who we are. It's our calling. It is our identity. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we see life. It's our purpose for living. See, we no longer regard people according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we no longer do so. We don't just see people as rich or poor or according to their ethnicity or background or education or surface things as privileged or not privileged. We don't see people that way. We see people as saved or lost in relationship at peace with God or not at peace with God. So if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. I love the translation that's all has become new. We have a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of life. And that means we make disciples. See, all this is from God who, through Christ, who reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he, first of all, makes us at peace with him. And now he says, this is your calling. This is your ministry. Be a peacemaker. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, just as Christ reconciled us with God, so now that Christ has brought us that reconciliation, he has then given us that message, his message of reconciliation, what he has given us, we are to give others. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It is our identity. It's who we are. If we are in Christ, we see ourselves and we see the world completely different eyes. And it's our calling. It's why I love the passage in Matthew 4 when Jesus calls his first disciples. He says to them, um, in Matthew four seventeen, um, uh, um, 
I'm sorry, verse 19, he said, and he said, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want to follow Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to follow Jesus down his paths of righteousness. And when he invites us to follow him down his path of righteousness, what's he say? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We, may, we are fishers of men because we follow Jesus. It is our calling. It is our identity. It is the command that he has given to us. Therefore, don't say four more months and then the harvest. Look, the harvest is ripe right now. I was reminded recently of how ripe the harvest is right now. There are opportunities that we have right now for ministry that we will not have in four months. Um, there was, uh, I understand, a murder committed recently um, by a young man who, although not associated with New Life, um, was associated with um, with somebody um, who's part of our ministry here at New Life. And whenever something like that happens there's always this sense of, could I have done more? Could I have made a difference? Did I miss an opportunity? That's especially poignant for me because of a friend of mine named Larry. Um, Larry coached with me a couple of seasons with Marty Chavers and me. Larry's son, Matt, is, um, was one of the finest kids you'll ever coach. Not necessarily the most gifted, not the best hitter, although he had a huge home run one time. Not the fastest catcher, but teachable and humble and gave his best effort and coachable, sweet spirit, gentle spirit. But after graduating from, I was, uh, from high school, I was talking to Larry actually about a month or so ago, and how's Matt doing? And he said, well, he's kind of hit a rough, rough patch since high school and um, being treated for, um, for, for severe depression. And, um, and we were talking about, oh, we need to have Matt come out we need to, to a game sometime. I'd love to see him again. I'd love to, and you know, maybe he can come to practice with us sometime, or softball practice, and just kind of get reacquainted. It'd be fun to see him again. And, um, and then we got word a couple of weeks ago that Matthew had, um, had taken an overdose and is gone. Do not say four more months and then the harvest. I don't mean to be melodramatic with that. I'm just saying it's, that's not the only time it's happened in my life or probably in yours where you thought you had more opportunity, you thought you had more time, and then suddenly you realized four more months has passed and the opportunity is gone. I'm reminded of my friend Vince Antonucci. 
I like to share the story of Vince. Vince grew up. His family was not Christian. They never went to church. He was an atheist. He went to college to be, uh, become a politician. He was a political science philosophy major. And then one Easter, he saw a guy in a big overstuffed, oversized chair say what he thought was the dumbest thing he'd ever heard, something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Vince said he'd never read a Bible he was a political science philosophy major. He never read a Bible. He thought, I'm going to read the Bible so I can laugh at Christians. He'd known Christians in his life. No Christian had ever given him a Bible. He had to go buy his own Bible. He had known many Christians. Who, who knows how many Christians had rubbed shoulders with Vince throughout his life? None had ever stopped to invite him to church to have a spiritual conversation. So Vince finds himself reading this Bible on his own, and it doesn't read uh, the way he thought. He thought it was going to read like some, f some, some silly, you know, tall tale. And it reads like history, reads like real people and real times and real places that can actually be verified. And Vince gives his life to Christ. And he said when he was going into politics, it was because he thought that's where the action was. But he said after he gave his life to Christ, he wanted to not just go into ministry, he wanted to go into church planting because he knew that's where the action is. Because he said he wanted to reach as many lost people, as many people like him as possible. And, and Vince has a bit of an edge on him sometimes. Well, a good-spirited kid. Guy, he's not a kid anymore. But um, a man, and, and, but Vince would say, he, he say, says to Christians all the time when he speaks to him, he says, I'm angry at you. He says, I'm up here and I'm angry at you because I lived my, that, that whole life up to that point and, and none of you cared enough to share Jesus with me. None of you cared enough to give me a Bible. None of you cared enough to invite me to church. And so he's committed his, the rest of his life to start churches that will reach people like him, that will be filled with people like him now who don't want anybody to go through life without the chance of acquaintance with Jesus, of getting to know Jesus. She says, don't say four more months and then the harvest. There's a Vince Antonucci in your life right now and in mine. There's somebody in your life right now that God has placed there that he wants to bring encouragement, his encouragement through you. He wants to bring his truth through you, his love through you. He wants to reach and to move across the line of lostness to salvation, of at war with God to at peace with God through you. Do not say four more months and then the harvest. The harvest is ripe right now. So who are the people that you're praying for? Let's make that list. Make a list of people that you're gonna pray for every day. Keep your eyes open every day. Where's the opportunity for me? to say a word, and, and maybe it doesn't go anywhere. Maybe it just goes a couple of sentences, but you never know when God's gonna use it to reach Vince Antonucci, to reach a woman at the well, as we find in John chapter four. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would give us vision, that you would give us, again, courage, confidence in you, that as Paul says, that we would no longer look at this world as we once did through worldly eyes, but we will see through your eyes 
in your eyes see that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so you sent Jesus to die for us so that we can be reconciled, made at peace with you. So now you have given us this, this ministry of reconciliation that Christ might bring wholeness to others through us. Lord, you could do it without us. I know that you don't need us, but that you've, you've chosen to give us this calling, this identity, because it's what this life is about. Help us not to say four more months and then the harvest, but to be obedient today, to see the opportunities today. And Lord, begin with me. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Let's go make disciples.